excuse me, for the longest time. So I encourage you, if you have your Bibles with you and you want to open up to 2 Kings with us, if you want to read along on the screens, I, I find that helps me uh, keep the people straight in this story. Uh, this is from 2 Kings chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through 14. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the company of prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master from you? He said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. And the company of prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he answered, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan River. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. And fifty men of the company of prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan River. Then Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other until the two of them crossed the Jordan River on dry ground. And when they crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. Elisha said, Please, let me inherit a double share, a double portion of your spirit. He responded, You've asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted to you. If not, it will not. And so as they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see them, he grasped his own clothes and tore them in pieces. And then he picked up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him. And he went back and he stood on the bank of the Jordan River. He took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and he struck the water saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And we had struck the water the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elijah crossed over. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for each and every one of us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you take a moment to pray with me and for me this morning? <clears throat> God, in the silence of these moments, 
Prepare our hearts to receive your word. Amen. So I found one of the questions I get most frequently as a Methodist pastor is about itineracy. Especially folks that, that didn't grow up in the Methodist church or even folks that have been Methodists their entire lives find this itinerant system that we live in a little strange. Um, I don't know anyone else except for maybe school teachers who sign up for 12-month contracts at a time. Essentially what we do as Methodist pastor each year, we wait for the call from the superintendent and the bishop and the cabinet and their offices who are looking at all the churches scattered across the North Texas Annual Conference and the needs and what is required in each congregation and each community and where the growing edges for the kingdom are. And at the same time, looking at all the pastors, all those that have been called out and set apart for a particular kind of ministry and their gifts and their passions and their joys and where the two might meet all across the region. People find it a little odd. Uh, they say the most, the most frequent question I get from folks who are interested in, in coming to claim First Methodist Decatur as their home is, I, I love the church, I love this community, but, but tell me more about this itineracy thing. It seems a little strange that a, a pastor and a church would be willing to open themselves up to moving from place to place to place in any given year. It harkens back to our early days of Methodism, both in England and in the early days of the American colonies and the early American nation. As Methodist circuit riders who were preachers literally on horseback who had a Bible and a discipline and, and a couple study books in their bag would go from charge to charge to charge and you would see a pastor once maybe every six weeks if you were on a small circuit. It speaks to our history that, that the church is not really the pastor. The church is not really the person with the, the credentials, if you want to call them that. The church is really the people. The church is really the community. The church is really God's work in a particular place for the long haul. See, all of their itinerant system because it's a reminder that ministry is not really about me. I remember really vividly being in an ordination and commissioning service four or five years ago down in Plano for the regular session of the North Texas Annual Conference. And Bishop uh, James Swanson from Mississippi had been invited up to come and preach that evening for the ordination and commissioning service. And, and Bishop Swanson, in his big, booming voice, he looked at all the ordinands and he said, Pastors, let me tell you, this is not your ministry. He looked at all the people sitting in the congregation, all the lay folks, all the pastors, and he said, everyone sitting here tonight, let me tell you, this is not your church. He said, let me tell you, pastors, this is God's ministry. He said, let me tell you, friends, this is God's church. That has stuck with me through the years and reminded me that the work of ministry to which we have all been called is a work that is never complete. It's a task that is never quite done, no matter how long you stay in a place. It's a task that requires the passing of the prophetic spirit from person to person, from generation to generation, as the seasons of God's people go by. That's why I love the story of Elijah and Elisha. 
Elijah is one of the most critical prophets in the history of the people of Israel. Remember the great kings of Israel, Saul and David and Solomon? After Solomon, Solomon's children come and take on the throne and squabble and divide the kingdoms of Israel amongst themselves, having a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And after Solomon, there's this great line of succession of kings, and, and somehow all their names start with A, Ahab, Ahaz, Ahaz. You can't get them right, but guess A and you'll be close. And the book of First and Second Kings is a list and stories of all these kings in succession, one after another, after another, after another, who continue to draw God's people further and further away from what and who God has called them to be. They have this nice affair with the, the, the prophets of Baal, this other god, this idol that they are worshiping. They begin to accumulate money and possessions. They begin to accumulate power and military might, all those things that God has called them not to do. They begin to conform more and more to the ways of the world, to look more and more like the other nations rather than being set apart to be blessed, to be a blessing to the nations. And Elijah, Elijah is the one who is called with the prophetic role, the prophetic task to speak truth to power in some really uncomfortable and difficult ways. Elijah is called to speak to all those lines of kings, to call the people back of Israel, to call the people of Israel back to faithfulness to the God who formed them and has been guiding them along their long history. And this puts Elijah's life in jeopardy on more than one occasion. On one occasion, Elijah is fleeing for his life, uh, and he runs out to the desert. And he finds his way up on this mountain, the mountain of Horeb, which incidentally is the same mountain that Moses found God in the burning bush, and is the same mountain where Moses went up to receive those ten good words from God to bring down to the people of Israel, is the same mountain on which Moses asked to see the glory of God, and God said, you can't see my glory face to face, but let me shelter you down in this rock, and you can see my glory as it passes by. Elijah is up on this same mountain where Moses first encountered God, and Elijah is at the pits. He is down in the lowest rock bottom of his life. And he just needs to meet God, to see the presence of God, to come face to face with the living God and be filled up and sent back out. And so what happens? This great tornado, this great whirlwind passes through the valley and God's not in the whirlwind. And this great earthquake shakes the whole valley and God's not in the earthquake and this fire rages through and God's not in the fire and then in the sound of the sheer silence I imagine Elijah just feels the goosebumps running down his spine as he can feel the presence of God so tangibly in this place and you know what Elijah does when he feels the presence of God in that sound of sheer silence he takes his mantle a mantle is not like a big doorpost, like the mantle above our doors or the mantle above a fireplace. Um, a mantle is, is like, a, like a cloak of sorts. This is maybe a, a small one. It's a cloak that can be wrapped around the, the prophet's shoulders. 
Uh, you could be used to keep you warm, but it was also a sign of the prophetic call and the prophetic task. And Elijah takes his mantle and he, he kind of covers his head with it in this sign of, of humility and this uh, seeking out the presence of God. Like Moses being sheltered in the rock, Elijah shelters himself in his mantle. And he goes out and meets God face to face. And God calls him to something. God calls him to go and, and speak a couple more last words of truth to the people in power. But God also calls Elijah to go and seek out this young man named Elisha. And so Elijah leaves Horeb, having encountered God, and he is riding along, and Elisha is working this huge farming operation where he's got 12 yokes of oxen farming the land, a major operation, and Elijah rides by and just throws his mantle on Elisha. Kind of an odd thing, but Elisha would have seen this as a specific calling, a specific invitation to a life of following, not necessarily in the footsteps of Jesus yet, but following where God had called him in a particular way. And Elisha comes to pick up the mantle and, and comes back to Elijah and sells everything he has and, and gives all his oxen his food to the poor and, and bids his family goodbye and spends his life following in the footsteps of this prophet. And then we get to our story today, where Elijah and Elisha have been walking together, have been talking together, have been in ministry together for a little while now. And both Elijah and Elisha knows that their season together is coming to an end, like all seasons do. At the very beginning of this, uh, Elijah, you can almost tell, can barely bear the goodbye. He says, Elisha, just, I got a long journey ahead. Why, why don't you just stay here? I've got to go on to Bethel. God sent me to Bethel, and Elisha, with the words of Ruth on his mouth, says, as you live and as the Lord lives, I will not leave you. Look, I, I will be with you till the very end of our season together. And so they go on down to Bethel. And the company of prophets at Bethel come up to Elisha and they said, Look, don't you know that today the Lord is taking your master away from you? And Elisha says, I know. I'm not naive. I know all seasons come to an end. Simply let me be here in this moment. Simply let me soak up the last uh, time of our, of our ministry, of our season together. And Elijah once more says, look, Elisha, I'm not good at this goodbye stuff. Why, just stay here. I've got to go all the way down to Jericho. It's another long walk. And Elisha, with the words that will echo in Gethsemane, says, I will not leave you. And they go on down to Jericho. And the company of prophets come back to him at Jericho and they say, Look, do you not know that today the Lord is taking your master away from you? And Elisha says, I know. I know. Simply let me be in these last moments of our time and season together. And Elijah turns to Elisha and says once more, Look, I've got to go all the way down to the very outskirts of Israel, to the Jordan River. Just stay here. Let us part here. And what does Elisha say? I will not leave you. And so they make their way down to the Jordan River. 
You remember what else happens at the Jordan River? What did Jack read for us earlier from the book of Joshua? The Jordan River is the place where the torch is passed, where the baton is passed from Moses to Joshua, and the people of Israel enter a new season of their life as they are led from their years into the desert on into the promised land. They come to the banks of the Jordan. Moses has just passed away, and Joshua has been given leadership of the people of Israel. And God takes them to the banks of the Jordan, and he tells Joshua, step right on into the Jordan River, the boundary line of the promised land. And as you step in, what? The waters will part. And all of Israel will walk across on dry land. Which probably rings another bell for Joshua and all those folks who have heard the stories of their parents and their grandparents crossing another sea on dry land to enter a new season of their life. And here once more, Elijah and Elisha find themselves about to cross over into a new season. And so Elijah takes his mantle from his shoulders and maybe he kind of wraps it up and rolls it up and he like strikes the water with it. And what happens? The water's to the one side and to the other, and Elijah and Elisha walk across on dry land into this space of liminality, into this time in between, into this time of transition between one season and the next. And as they have stepped out of the promised land, out onto the other side of the river Jordan, Elisha prays for a double portion of the spirit that has been poured out on Elijah. I'm sure Elisha is thinking to himself, you know, I'm going to preach in a way that will be a little bit different from you. But I'm going to need to tell the people of Israel the same thing that you've been telling them for your whole life. I'm going to pray in a way that will be a little bit different from you, but I'll need to pray in tune with the same living God that you have been praying to your whole life in ministry. Elisha said, my ministry is going to look a little bit different than yours has, but the prophetic spirit that stirred over the waters of chaos and brought forth creation, the prophetic spirit that was poured out on Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the prophetic spirit that was given to Moses at the burning bush to lead the people out of slavery from Egypt and across the Dead Sea, the same prophetic spirit that was passed from Moses to Joshua to lead the people into the promised land, the same prophetic spirit that was poured out upon Elijah will be poured out also upon Elisha. And as they're walking and talking, Elijah is taken up into heaven, ascends up into heaven in a whirlwind. Interestingly, the only person other than Jesus to ascend up into heaven at the end of his life. And as he is going, the mantle drops from him. It doesn't make it up into heaven with Elijah. The mantle maybe, maybe slips off his shoulders as he's taken up in these chariots of fire and the horses of fire and, and the whirlwind blows it from his shoulders as he's going or maybe he thinks to himself a small sign that God will be with you as God has been with me. 
What does God tell Joshua? This will be the sign that the living God is with you as I have been with Moses. Elisha, after the whirlwind dies down, finds himself alone as his mentor, his friend, his preacher, his pastor has moved on. And he sees the mantle lying there on the ground. And just like when he was called, goes over and slowly picks it up, knowing that to pick up this mantle is to pick up a new season of God's call on his life. And yet the God who called has remained faithful and steadfast. And he walks back to the River Jordan, and he rolls up the mantle once more and strikes the water like Elijah did, and what? The waters part to one side and to the other. And Elijah crosses back over. My friends, this is the season that we are in together. Season of transition, the season of liminality, the season of change from one season to the next. And the mantle, the prophetic mantle, is one of the reasons that uh, pastors in our United Methodist tradition, in particular, in more traditional worship contexts like this, uh, when it isn't super hot in the summertime, when we're wearing robes and other vestments, why we wear uh, stoles that drape around our shoulders in the symbol of the prophetic mantle that was placed around the neck of the prophets. That's why we wear these stoles, particularly for sacramental things like presiding at the table or performing a baptism. Because the stole is a sign for us that this is not our ministry. The stole is a sign for us that this is not our church, that this is God's ministry and that this is God's church. This is part of the reason why Pastor Brian left this uh, stole that you have gifted to all your uh, recent pastors on the altar and why uh, Pastor Cassie on her first Sunday with us will take up the mantle as a sign that no matter who it is that stands behind this table, that no matter who it is that stands in this pulpit, no matter who it is that sits at the bedside, perhaps the mantle is past, but it is the same spirit of the living God that has called and equipped us all. And the truth is that this mantle isn't just for those of us who have committed our lives to a lifetime of, of set apart and ordained ministry in a particular way. This mantle, this prophetic mantle of the spirit of the living God is dropped on us all. It has been dropped at our feet by all those who have come before us, on all those on whose shoulders we stand in the faith, by the great cloud of witnesses who have brought us to this point. And it will be this prophetic mantle that we leave to all those who come after us, knowing that in ministry our work is never quite finished. 
But perhaps all God calls us to do for our short time, for the little bit that we have to serve, is to pick up the mantle of those who have come before, to cross back over, and to be about God's good work. Amen.